Well, happy Father's Day to the dads that are out there. And if you are a father and you are here this morning, I want to say thank you for coming this morning. Because there are numerous studies that show that you dads play the most important role in influencing and helping your children understand who God is. Not to give you a big head, fathers, but most studies show that children's view or their understanding of the heavenly father is drastically impacted by you and how you father. And I say that as a father of five kids who I have marred the image of God myself. And so there is grace in that. Praise the Lord for that. But also there is grace to help you continue to grow as a father. So may your day be filled with abundant meat to devour and feed your soul and your stomach. (laughs) And if you don't like meat, fill it with whatever makes you happy. (laughs) We are working through this book of Philippians. Paul is writing to a church that he loves dearly. And he is writing to them because he, he wants them to, to flourish and to grow and to have a passion for Christ that would just pour out of their life wherever they are. Even in the, the world, in the city, in the place that they live. But the reality is, is they are immigrants. Perhaps they were born in the city of Philippi, but they are immigrants now. They are citizens of another nation because of their salvation in Christ. They now live as foreigners. And when people immigrate to a new nation, to a new country, they generally deal with the culture in one of three ways. The first, they absorb the culture. They become just like the culture around them. They they live, they eat, they talk, they behave just like the world around them. They want to fit in. The second thing that that sometimes happens when people immigrate to a a new region is that they they kind of uh, rally uh, the wagons around and they they stay, they're kind of a pocket of the culture from where they came from. I grew up just outside New York City and if you go into New York City, you'll find out there's Little Italy, there's Chinatown. Right? There's, there's different immigration pockets. And if you go there, even to this day, you will hear a different language primarily spoken. Depending on which pocket would give the language you would hear. There's also a third way. It's a way where people keep their identity for, for who they are, where they are, but yet they are also able to interact and, and kind of absorb the, the, the benefits, the good parts of the culture around them or the world around them. So they're still holding, this is who I am, this is where my citizenship is found, but I am able to live in this world, interact with the people around them. And so I want to ask us this morning, how do we do that as Christians? Jesus told his followers, be in the world, not of it. No, he didn't. He never said that, actually. It's nowhere in the Bible. We throw that out there all the time. Here's what he actually said. It was read a little bit earlier. But John chapter 17, verses 
14 to 19, Jesus says this as he's praying in the garden to his father. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, right? He's not saying pull them away, help them never to deal and interact with anybody who is not a believer, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Jesus knows there's going to be difficulty and he doesn't pray, help them to avoid difficulty. Take them out of the difficulty. Make sure they don't feel any pain. Instead, he says, keep them, sanctify them, mature them, grow them. So as Christians, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have been sent into a hostile world for a purpose. So I pray that our lives would magnify Christ, showing him worthy of the gospel. Excuse me, showing us worthy of the gospel, regardless of the circumstances we face, so that our lives would be a sign. That's what we're going to look at this, this morning. If you have a Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter one. We're gonna be looking at verses 27 through 30. Philippians chapter one. Looking at the verses 27 through 30, it says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still live. Excuse me, now here that I still have. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us as we are foreigners living in a foreign land. ask, Lord, that you would help us, not by taking us out of this world, but that you would protect us from it, from the evil one that rules over it currently. Lord, I pray that our lives would be lived in a way that would show that we have a hope that far exceeds anything that is found here in this world, in this time, that our lives would be marked in ways that show the glory and the worth of of you. Help us, Lord. Help us to not forget our new identity. We're sons and daughters, adopted heirs, not because we are worthy of it, but because you are good. 
to thank you for the hope of salvation in Christ. Help us to live it in a way that cannot be denied by those who are around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a look here at verse 27. Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, only. That word there means all-encompassing, all-inclusive, above everything else. This is important, he's saying. What is? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Church, let us be citizens worthy of the gospel. Our life as redeemed, regenerated citizens of heaven should be lived out in a way that adorns, makes beautiful, adds to the glory of the gospel. That's why we're here. We are to manifest the characteristics, the desires, the responses of that kingdom, not of this world. We are citizens of heaven already. I keep using the word citizen because the phrase or the word that's actually translated manner of life from the Greek. Yeah, it means that, but, but, but there's more of this understanding of, of, of you living under a, a, a constitution, a system of government and rules or customs associated with a location. So it's translated manner of life, but it really has a little bit more weight to, to behavior that comes underneath rule. I think some of the reason Paul uses this is because the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. The citizens, the people who were of that city prided themselves for being Roman citizens. Not like the people who lived in the cities or the villages around them. We're Roman. You guys are not. So Paul is writing and saying, actually, you live under a superior king, one far greater than Caesar. You have better rule to to conform your life to than the rules and the instructions from Rome. Your life should show that you are from that kingdom, not this kingdom. And with a few brief words, we're being told to conform our lives to reveal where our citizenship's from. And then Paul says that we Christians are to be citizens worthy of the gospel. Now that's a tricky phrase there. Worthy. What's that mean to be worthy of the gospel? It cannot mean, and I want to emphasize this, It cannot mean that as Christians, you do something to obtain it. It cannot mean that as Christians, live in a way so that you merit the gospel. And here's some of the reason why. Just logically, if that's what it means, everything's backwards. Because you can't be a citizen of heaven until you have already received the gospel. So if you're supposed to live like a citizen that earns the gospel, how can you be a citizen without having the gospel first? 
So it can't mean that you do something to make yourself worthy. Rather, it's inviting you to live in a way that flows out from or suits or fits the gospel. I tried to think of a good example of this, and this might be a lame example, so please forgive me. But if you were to watch um, you know, a young prince dancing around, splashing around in a puddle, he might get pulled into you know, Windsor Castle or wherever the royal family lives or whoever, you know, and say, they might say something like, the royal family does not splash in mud puddles. Well, he's already the prince, so he's already part of the royal family. What they're trying to say is, because you're part of this family, align your life with the conduct. You see this in other passages. Matthew Chapter 3, verse 8 tells, Jesus is speaking, he says that, that we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's in keeping with. It's not bear fruit so that you have repentance. It's if you've repented, bear fruit. Or to closely connect us with this word worthy, take the look at the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10. In verse 37 and 38, this famous passage, Jesus says, whoever loves Father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Worthy there doesn't mean doing this earns you worth or or, or makes you somehow receiving Jesus. Rather, worth is equal to value here. You're not valuing ascribing worth. None of us are worthy of Christ. So it can't mean that. It has to mean ascribe worth. The good news of the gospel is you don't deserve it, but it is given to you graciously and freely. We are not worthy of the gospel. There's nothing you could do to earn it. Instead, what Paul is saying is live as you would in a way that would ascribe worth to the gospel. Adorn it. Make it beautiful. Show that it's better than anything else in all the world. How do we do that? What manner or conduct do these citizens perform that ascribes worth to the gospel? You could could ask it this way. What are the marks of a citizen? What are the marks? What are the actions? What are the responses? What's it look like to be a citizen of heaven? Well, verse 27 says that citizens of heaven stand firm and they strive. Verse 28 says that citizens are not frightened. So there's, there's three traits here. There are three marks right there. So living a life that, that is worthy, that describes worth to the gospel. How do we do that? Here's three ways. Stand firm, strive, and don't be scared. First, what's it mean to stand firm? That's a defensive position. 
It's bracing for the challenges that it knows will come. Standing firm. Think of this idea of persevering. I'm going to stand firm on the truth. I'm going to stand firm, as the psalmist says, on the rock that is higher than I. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm standing firm. I'm persevering. I'm rooting myself in this thing. I'm ready for the blows. It's defensive. Stand firm, church. Paul writes that citizens of the kingdom are marked by striving. So standing firm is defensive. Striving is offensive. It's it's advancing. It's moving forward. It's, It's bringing the gospel to the nations. It's living out the life. It's advancing the faith in our own life. I want to mature. I want to I want to understand God better. I want to be sanctified and grow in sanctification. The theologian Carl Barth wrote, Christians are not striving against anybody, but for the faith. We're not advancing to attack people. We're advancing for the sake of the faith. And the final mark of this text is the call not to be frightened. The word translated there is actually connected with this idea of startling animals. It was a couple days ago, I was walking into church and out in the field between us and the road, there was a deer and its baby. And I went to go get my phone fumbling with my, but before I could, its ears, you know, perked up, looked around, saw me and booked it. That's what it's saying. Don't be that way. Don't be that way. Don't panic. Keep your head about you. Don't be intimidated by some thing out there that is purely momentary. These saints can have this fearless confidence because they know that God's in control. Church, how are you doing in manifesting just these three traits? Standing firm in your faith, also striving for for the kingdom and for faith to advance, not being scared of the things of this world or people. How are you doing at that? You will stumble in all of these things. You will. And the reason you will is because you don't believe, at least in that moment. You deny the truth because in that moment, you don't think that really is true. You think something else is truer than the one that is truth. And so you won't stand firm. You'll waver. You're going to strive after something that you think is more important than Christ or your, your faith in him. Because you're going to think, if I could just have that, then, ah, life will just be so much smoother. You value something more worthy than Christ. You think there's a, a message that's, that's better than the gospel. And that's why you fall short in these marks. 
like I said, you, you, you've done it or you will do it. But again, I, I always want to point us back. The good news of the gospel is, is that you can come humbly repenting and say, Lord, forgive me when I didn't believe this truth. Forgive me when I wavered. Forgive me when I pursued something else, thinking that life was found there, but instead it really was leading to death. Forgive me when I was intimidated by the world and the fear of man, and I just wanted them to approve me and, and, and make my, my, myself feel better because man and my, 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 my family, my boss, whoever it is, I wanted their approval more than you. Forgive me, Lord, because nothing is better than your approval. You're going to fail, but there's a secret right here in this passage. God has given you something to encourage you to manifest these marks in your life. And it's right there. It's all over in the passage. And you've seen it. You've read it. And I'll let you in on the secret. You are sitting in the midst of it right now. What's the secret? It's your fellow saints. It's the brothers and sisters of the faith. You right now are standing, or you're not standing, I'm standing. You right now are sitting amidst the secret to help you grow in manifesting these marks in your life. We are called to stand firm in one spirit. United together, brothers and sisters of the faith, in one spirit. And by spirit there, I... It could mean both, meaning the, the Holy Spirit, but also like, uh, the, you know, human purpose, one spirit, where you're united with one purpose. I think it's both. We're to be of one mind, literally, it reads one soul. Striving side by side. Right? That's like a military term there, like that band of brothers. You are with me. I am with you. We're going to do this together. It's everywhere. I'll give you a little bit of a peek into next Sunday. If you look down a few verses later in chapter 2, verse 2, this, is, this isn't even a full, complete sentence. This is part of, of, of an idea. But Paul says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Not even, that's not even a full sentence in four times. He is saying, unite, 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 unite. Be together, be together, be together. One, 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 one. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. You can have all eternity to walk around heaven trying to meet every single individual who will ever be there for all eternity and none of them will get there by themselves. We are gifted to one another for the sake of the gospel. We are to manifest these marks because they do something. They function. Take a look here at verse 28, kind of the second half of that. It says this. This is a clear sign to them, the opponents, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. When a whole life is revealing the marks that exalt the worth and the glory of the gospel of Christ, it is a sign to our opponents, to those out there in the world of their destruction, but it's also a sign of our salvation. And you might ask, how? How is that the case? 
the Lord reveals himself and his truth to the world in, in a lot of ways, right? The mountains declare his glory. But do you know who does a better job of declaring his glory? His saints, his people. Because the mountains just say, something huge made me. But you can say, I know who made me. The sun setting declares the beauty You can say, I know a far greater son who's done something much more beautiful than paint the skies. We, as we manifest the manner that shows the worth, ascribe glory, I have observed non-believers change their language and behavior merely because they were in close proximity to someone who faithfully lived out the gospel in their life. The person didn't say, hold your tongue. They just stopped swearing around them. They just stopped crudely joking. They never said, I find that joke offensive. They just stopped doing it because they saw this person's life and they were convicted by it. When when Christians don't lose faith in the things of the world, when they don't lose um, When they don't fear losing these things, they are ascribing worth to Christ. They're saying money isn't that important. There's something far greater than money. You know, there's there's something far greater than, than breathing another breath. There's something far greater. We are showing the weakness of the false gods. Flip over to Philippians chapter three. It's funny because I know where this verse is going and some of you maybe know and I got to kick myself because of the joke I made about Father's Day eating all this food. Because look at verse 19 of chapter three of Philippians. It says this. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Uh Uh-oh. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God's their belly. Their God is earthly things. When we're living in a manner that ascribes, when we are citizens living like we are citizens of another kingdom, we are saying our belly isn't the most important thing. The things of this world aren't the most important thing. There's something far greater. And when we live a life that shows that, we are showing the world who Christ is. Lives that manifest heavenly citizenship are signs to the opponents of their destruction. That doesn't mean they're always going to heed the warning. We can see the warning signs. We can see it manifested in our own lives. And we're saying, why can't they just see this? Why won't they just believe it? Some will. But some are still blind by this world But let us unify, let's gather together, let's support one another to live fearlessly, striving, standing in Christ, affirming the good news of the salvation. Not just so that it's a sign to them, but it's a sign to us. When you're struggling, think back, I've faced this fear before. I I defended the truth. I proclaim the good news of the gospel. I look back at my life and I think, man, I have come a long way in my faith. I am maturing. Those are signs for you. My salvation must be real. 
yeah, I fell short this time, but, but when I look at it and I think, man, I'm convicted, I want to do better, that's a sign for you. I'm encouraged when I hear stories. That's one of the things I love about baptisms because we, we share our testimonies in it. And I'm thinking like, that person's faith, that encourages me. That's a sign to me, even though they're talking about themselves. That's how God works. So let's be united together so that we, the church, manifest these marks, not just as a sign out to the lost world, but also a sign to those who have found hope and life in Christ so that they would be encouraged and be reminded this is worth it. Let me come here to these last two verses. Take a look here at verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is where it gets hard. There are two graces here granted to us. You might call them the twin graces of citizenship. Did you catch them here? The two things granted to you, the two gracious things given to you, belief and suffering. King James says it was given in the behalf of Christ or on behalf of Christ. It's bestowed. That's what the word says there. It's it's granted. It's something given as a gift to show favor. So what Paul is saying is Christ, through Christ, God is showing favor to you by giving you belief. And here's the part that's hard. We like that part. Yeah, get that part. But the grace of suffering. They work together. You might be thinking, hold on here. It's a gracious thing to believe. I'm okay with that. But really suffering? Suffering's grace? I don't like that part. But have you ever stopped to think about how belief and suffering work together? Belief is given to us and it aids us in suffering. When you're going through pain, when you're going through difficulties, when you're going through challenges in your life, isn't it the belief that you fall back on that helps you persevere through those things? Or understand that it's just my body if it is to to decay and die away. Surely there's a greater tent being prepared for me that I will be clothed in something far greater than even what I have right now. It's belief that aids us in suffering But God gives us suffering as a gift to aid us in belief. Have you ever thought that way? When you suffer, the things of the world get stripped from you. When you suffer, you realize that the the solutions or the promises that the world has for you really don't seem to hold up for you at much. And you you have to lean or look for something far greater. And you set your eyes on the Lord and you, you find a hope there. Belief helps suffering. Suffering helps belief. Belief helps. It's this cycle. When believers suffer, grace abounds. Take a look here at 2 Corinthians. Let's 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. issues find it. Here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe. Here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What verse do I want here? Verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's already pointing out like humans, we're finite, we're limited to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He's talking about suffering, 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 but it all is It also grows faith. It's also growing these things. Flip over to Romans chapter five. In verse uh, two, again, Paul is writing these things. He says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Why? knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God loves us and has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see there how faith and suffering go hand in hand with one another? Our afflictions, our sufferings is not merely something we grind through and wear a fake smile Rather, these things are manifestations of God graciously working in our lives, growing us and dealing with us, purifying us, increasing our faith. I have come to love 2 Corinthians 4.17 so much. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Light. It's just cancer. It's light. Light affliction. You might not walk again. Light affliction. You've lost the job. Light affliction. Momentary. Fleeting. And it's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Friends, understand that both belief and suffering are gifts And the sooner we understand them, the better it will be for your own discipleship and pursuit of God. These are twin graces given to you and God uses them to help you manifest better the marks of a citizen who lives in a way that ascribes glory and worth to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are signs that you're saved. The way you live through them are signs that declare the worth of God to the nations and to show that if they don't live for him, they face destruction. We are citizens of heaven. Living in this world, let us lift high the name of Jesus, our king. 
Let us not be so absorbed in the culture that we have been lost to the rebellious world we find ourselves in. Neither let us rally around in holy huddles so that we never interact with the world around us. Your life, Christian, is meant to be a sign, not just to the lost, but also to us in here. So let us live in a way that declare these marks and show the glory and the power and the grace of Christ in your life. Let us be a people united in his name, standing firm for his truth, advancing the gospel and making known the glory and the goodness found in the only name by which any will be saved. Fearlessly, because if he is for us, who can be against us? Why? So that all the world will know the glory of the one we hold dear. So that one, just one, might know him and call on him and be saved. you stand with me as we pray? I have you standing for two reasons. One is because someone told me to make you guys stand, but here's the more important reason. I'm going to commission you today as well. Because you... Have If you are a saint, if you are one who have put your hope and your life and your faith in Jesus Christ, thinking there's, there's no other name under heaven and earth by which any could be saved. If this is you, you are a citizen of heaven. And so, may all your life be encompassed, living out these marks. So as I pray, I'm commissioning you, pray with me. Father, Thank you for the grace of the gospel and saving all of us. None of us are worthy of the gospel. But I pray, Lord, that you would right now take all of us who have put our faith in you and you alone, all of us who have repented of sin and have said, I'm done pursuing the sinful flesh. I'm done pursuing the false promises of this world. I have seen the goodness of this one. That in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, I am forgiven, I am made new, and I am now a citizen. Lord, help us to stand firm on the truth. Help us to strive for the sake of your kingdom, ascribing worth to your Savior, your Son, Christ. Let us not be fearful and intimidated knowing that the sovereign God is for us. Let us go and live lives declaring our citizenship and live them in a way that shows you are far greater. That some would be convicted and see. Let us do it in a way that would also encourage us and our brothers and sisters of our salvation and our blessed hope. We pray this as we go out this morning. In Jesus' name, to him be glory and honor forever and ever.